Welcome to the Audiobook Speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the Speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who'll be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. Joining me tonight in the Speakeasy is an accomplished actor, audiobook narrator, and narration coach, Hillary Huber. Thanks for joining me in the Speakeasy tonight. Rich, I'm delighted to be here. I love a Speakeasy. <laughs> I'm so glad you could make it. Uh, as soon as I heard you at, at uh, Johnny's workshop last year, right before APAC, I thought, that is somebody, if I ever get this podcast off the ground, that is somebody who I need to talk to. So I'm glad you could make it in. What are you drinking tonight? Okay, well, I had such a hard time. I stressed out trying to figure out what my cocktail of choice was going to be. Oh, no stress, no stress. I know. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you, by by nature, I'm a bourbon drinker. Um, but, you know, with the weather changing, even though I'm in L.A., we like to imagine it's spring, <laughs> I thought I'd make a little transition. And so I made this drink for Easter yesterday, and I've I've revised it tonight. It's a, it's a Negroni and tonic, and... So it's gin and um, and sweet vermouth mm-hmm. and Campari. Mm-hmm. And there's this, this cocktail company called Jack Rudy, and he makes a tonic syrup that you make your own tonic with. Oh. And it's, so it's Jack Rudy tonic, tonic syrup and soda and a, a, a rind of a grapefruit. And it is so fresh and refreshing, and that, that's what I'm having. That sounds really interesting. I'm going to have to try that. I actually have I will s- send you the recipe. Cool. I have some um, – I'll, I'll look up that tonic syrup too. I've actually made my own tonic syrup, and it's really kind of fun, you know, having something that is kind of a standard, but you get to make it however you want it. So I made mine not nearly as sweet as most of the tonic waters out there. Um, I'll definitely look up, you, look up his company. How do you make it? Oh, geez, I don't remember. This was, uh, at, I think it was two years ago, and my sister sent me a kit to make mm. tonic and another kit to actually make your own gin, and wow. um, which is basically just infusing vodka. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, I tried to do that too. <laughs> so uh, so that was a lot of fun, and and I like the syrup because you can make it however you want it, so mine wasn't very sweet. I'll look this, uh, I'll look this, this brand yeah, of syrup Jack up. Rudy, Jack R-U-D-Y. Rudy, R-U-D-Y. Right. He has a whole line of cocktail accoutrements. Cool. I will, I will check it out. And that way you can yeah, also add however much, um, soda, soda you, you want. want. Yeah, yeah. So you can control the sweetness. Exactly. Yeah. That's very it's not cool. like a cocktail that's too sweet. What are you drinking? So tonight I am joining you with a margarita. It is, mm. uh, Don Julio tequila and I like to split it up. And so it's uh, half Blanco and half Reposado and, nice. uh, and then some Cointreau and fresh lime juice. And I'm having that over ice. So my my other choice would have been tequila. That's my summer drink. Oh, that's interesting. Bourbon in the winter, tequila in the summer. Tequila in the summer. I'll have to remember that. I might uh, I might go with that because I am also a bourbon fan and Mm -hmm. uh, and I've got quite a few different kinds on hand. But for some reason, I don't know. Maybe it is the summer thing because it's definitely warming up here in Tucson. And uh, and so I just felt like you know what I need a margarita. So that's it. Need something refreshing. Well, cheers to you. All right, cheers. Thanks for coming in. Oh, that's good. I like that there. Uh, that didn't sound nearly as good as yours. You know, it's it's tough. I actually had to work on on figuring out how to make that sound right for the microphone. <laughs> yeah, so, really uh, Hillary, good. where are you from? 
I am from uh, the East Coast. I was born in New York and spent most of my years in Connecticut and then back in New York again. Um, and then my dad, but my dad lived in Hawaii. Oh, nice. So I spent a, three times a year with the hippies on the North Shore of Hawaii, which couldn't have been more opposite from my sort of, you know, waspy Connecticut <laughs> upbringing. <laughs> which, which island was this? Oahu, Haleiwa. Uh. Um, yeah, he was a surfer. Wow. So it was a, it was kind of a neat, kind of a neat mix. Sure. Yeah. Very different. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. So then, uh, so you grew up in, uh, in New York? Yeah. Well, most of the time in Connecticut until after, until high school. And then, then my folks moved back into the city. So, um, yeah. And then I lived in New York until I moved out here. And, and where are you now? I am in Santa Monica, California. Ah, I love Santa Monica. Yeah, it's pretty great. There was one summer, I was living in Pasadena, and there was one summer where every weekend I went out to Santa Monica. It was, it got to be kind of a ritual. I'd get out there about noon. It was, uh, I'm sure it's gone by now because this was 30 years ago, but there was a, uh, a hamburger shack, uh, really, really close off the beach there. I'd go grab a burger, go lie it on the beach, flip over about an hour later, get up an hour after that if I woke up and uh, go have something to eat and go home. It was, uh, I love Wow, it. really? Yeah. That's great. I, I love the sound of the water. That's one thing I miss about living in uh, in California, and specifically Southern California, is I really miss the sound of the ocean every once in a while. Yeah, I like to just be able to at least see it. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, you know, my my I grew up near the water, in both in Connecticut and then in the summers in Long Island and obviously in Hawaii. And I went to college in Colorado and my dad said to me, he said, you know, you're going to be fine there because people who identify with the sea, with the ocean can also identify with the mountains. There's something about the majest majesty of those two colossal, you know, aspects of mother nature that mm -hmm. uh, he said, I'm not worried about you. You're going to be okay. I so can see I, that. I, I could see that. I've done quite a bit of hiking, well, mostly when I was younger, but um, but I would go with a friend of mine. Uh, every every year we would alternate. He lived up in Oregon and Washington, and I lived in California. And we would visit each other every year and uh, switch off on where we were hiking. And we'd, we'd go backpacking for two, three days. And, and I always loved that as well. So even though I've never really thought about it in terms of both being these enormous natural things... Uh, it kind of makes sense that you'd feel at home at both. Yeah, I guess so. So where'd you go to school in Colorado? I went to Boulder. University of Colorado at Boulder. And what'd you do there? Um, I played a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you mean that in a good way? Uh, theater, right? Uh, well, yeah, I did theater. Um, and I skied and... I played a lot. I, I didn't realize they had courses in skiing at, uh, at University well, of Colorado yeah, Boulder. No, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> so that, it, well, I guess, you know, they don't. But It sounds like it was a good experience, though. It was a lot of fun. You know, I, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't regret any of it. It was great. But I don't know that I, I don't know that I, well, I know I did not recognize at that time what a gift being given a college education is. Oh yeah, um, I didn't recognize it at the time either. No, I sure as hell do I, now. Yeah, I sure do now. I didn't, you know. I'll tell you. I mean, how naive I was. I just it didn't even occur to me that you don't go to college. Mm -hmm. 
And I, I, I distinctly remember the first person I met who hadn't gone to college. And I was like, wow, that was a choice. I mean, it just didn't, I was just funneled mm-hmm. to do something. Um, and uh, what I wouldn't give to have had more wisdom going into that, because what a gift, four years paid for to study. Um, yep. I hear you. And I did not take advantage of it the way I, I wish I had, but uh, whatever. I had a good time and I have great friends from there. Yeah, no, that's I, I I hear you. I have have the same. Where'd you go? I went to Occidental College in uh, oh, e- Eagle wow, Rock. Oh, beautiful! Yeah, yeah, it's it's a great great campus, great school. I just didn't quite see it that way at the time, and yeah. and, and I do. Um, I wouldn't say I regret, but uh, I do wish that I had understood, you know, how important that was better than I did. Exactly. We'll, I think just, we're on the same page with that. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. But uh, exactly. But but it was great, and I still do have a lot of friends from there as well. So so that's a good thing. So uh, so you did uh, theater when you were there. I was an English major, but I, oh, English. You know, I, I, right. yeah, I took a bunch of theater too. But yeah, I was an English major, so a lot you, of reading and writing of papers. Were you planning on uh, going into something to do with an English degree, or was that just no. something that came naturally? I had, I had no idea. I thought I wanted to be a graphic designer, and I and my mother's like, "You can't graduate in that. I mean, you can't you can't major in graphic design. That's too <laughs> limiting. You're going to be an English major." I was like, mm-hmm. "Well, okay, you can do anything." She said, "You can do anything with an English major." Um, so she said, and I guess I can understand the wisdom of that if you're, you know, well-read and I mean, and looking at it now, it makes spectacular sense, but, sure. um, yeah. uh, so no, I, yeah, once again, it was just sort of my misguided attempt to choose something to do while I wild away four years in Colorado. Yeah. Well, but English is good. Um, so I'm, I'm sure that you got a lot out of that that's probably helping now. Um, oh, of course. So, so what happened right after you got out of school? Um, I, went, I, moved, I went back to New York, and I got a job working for – I had no idea what I wanted to do. I got a job working for a publisher, um, producing art note cards and calendars, books. You know, we'd license art for museums. And, mm-hmm. um, and it was – a little bit onerous of a job, but, um, I did that for a while and I had a boyfriend who I eventually moved in with. We'd been dating through when I was in college and, um, and we decided that we wanted to move out of New York. And I had said to him, I'll move anywhere in the world with you, but I don't want to move to California, but I'll go anywhere. (laughs) I don't want to go to LA though. He had two brothers who lived here. I'm like, so and we actually shopped around cities around, you know, we went to a weekend in Boston and a weekend in Philadelphia. And, um, and one day he was in advertising, he came home from work and he said, Hey, you know what? They've offered me a job in LA and they'll move us and, you know, put us up for a month. And I was like, well, all right. I what mean, did go. I say? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Uh, I said, all right, I'll go, but I'm going for like two years. And then I said, yeah, okay, this is fine. But, oh, then we got married. And then I said, yeah, we got married. Um, I said, but I'm not having any kids here. And then I was like, okay, but when he's two, we're going to leave, right? (laughs) I see a pattern emerging. (laughs) Yeah, he's almost 24. She's almost 22. She's, he's, he's 24, she's 22, and I'm still here. Wow. 
<laughs> that's that's great. So you've been there for quite some time now. I've been here for a long time, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he was in advertising, and yeah. uh, at the time you were working for a publishing I was company. In, yeah, and that just went by the wayside, and I got out here, and I did figure out what to do. This is like the question of how I got to where I am, right? Is that what we're doing? I think that's what we're doing. Yeah, kind of a, a roundabout way, more more along the lines of what led you, you know, the, yeah. different, the different steps that led you to what you're doing now. They so, make no sense whatsoever. So here but, they go. But see, that's I, I love that. I love that about the stories. That's why I always ask people this, because sometimes, you know, you're just a random narrator, since that's most of the people who listen to this podcast. And you're thinking, wow, I'm doing this. This is this is just so funky that I've I've kind of shifted from what I was doing before. Nobody would ever, you know, go in this direction. But it's great to hear the stories from the other people who have done something totally different and wended their way through life and eventually ended up doing this narration thing. Sometimes it happens quickly. Sometimes people are doing it for the acting thing for years and years. And other people, it's just kind of all over the map. And and I love that. I think that that's, that is something that everybody can relate to at, at some level about how their life seems so odd. But everybody's life is odd. That's exactly right. We all share that, don't we? Yeah, yeah. Not this. We didn't uh, start as children saying, "I'm going to be an audiobook narrator." Exactly, um, and then ended up being an audiobook narrator for 50 years, and then you get the gold watch. You know, I mean, it just it doesn't really work that way. <laughs> Not really, nobody's promised me that. We used to get pears from Tantor, but we don't anymore. Um, so, so yeah, when I moved out here, I had to rethink of what I wanted to do, and so first, I decided I wanted to be a caterer. And I tried to start a catering business and I worked, I was 23 years old. I worked in a, um, I worked in a little cafe down in Manhattan beach and, um, and I tried to start a catering business. I think I got like two jobs. <laughs> <laughs> that was very successful. Then I had a friend come visit me. She was taking a course in how to do like marbleizing Trump Loy painting Oh. And I was so enamored of that technique. Um, and I was like, I'm going to learn how to do that. So I did. And then, so then I became a, a painter. And this was like in the 80s. And it was like all the craze. Everybody wanted murals. Everybody wanted their walls marbleized and sponge painted and mm-hmm. speckled. And I had, a, I, it, I worked, I had millions of jobs doing that. It was it was, it was pretty great. I actually painted, I, the craziest things I did, I painted columns at C, for Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas. Wow. Yeah, like I had to ride a cherry picker up and down to get to the top and bottom. I marbleized the columns to make them look like marble. Um, that was cool. And then I painted the how other many cool thing people, I did. How many people can say that? I mean, that, that is really different. That's crazy, right? It is. It's great. I know. I also painted a swimming pool for this really, really wealthy heir to a company whose name I'm not going to mention um, in Malibu. And and he wanted his pool to look like under the sea. We had to use marine paint. It was so toxic. And we had, <laughs> we had to paint because it had to be underwater, right? We had whales and, you know, kelp eggs oh, wow. and all the sea life. And he wanted mermaids. And he came halfway through, and his one comment was, well, I'm just going to say it. It's rude. His one comment was, make their tits bigger. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, uh-huh. that's great. Uh-huh. So I did that for a few years. And then um, I did that for a lot of years, actually. It was it was pretty great. It was it was pretty lucrative, and I was good at it. Um, and, and you were having fun with it. And I was having fun with it. Um, but it was a lot of work, and I was constant. There was never, ever an area on my body that didn't have paint on it somewhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but then I got pregnant and I said, I can't do this anymore. This is so toxic. I, I can't do it. So I stopped it. And I went to work for a friend who worked for um, a really cutting edge at the start, really, of the environmental building craze. Oh. Uh-huh. And so I worked for this. It was an environmental consultant, um, mostly consulting <clears throat> construction and building management. So it was all about um, ferreting out green building products, which now are easy to come across. But this was 20 some odd years ago, and it was really the forefront of the green building movement. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, oh, you know what? We got to rewind a little bit. Okay. We got to rewind because I missed a really major part of the story. I missed such a major part of the story. Okay. You told me that you got married and that you got pregnant. More major than that. Oh, yeah. Much more. Well, this this (laughs) is the major part of how I got the voiceover. Okay. So, um, so my husband was in advertising. He worked at, he worked at Saatchi and Saatchi down in Torrance. Oh, big man. And, yep. And all his coworkers well, I had people tell me this all the time. Well, you should do voiceover. You should do voiceover. Because uh, I sounded the way I sound now when I was 17 years old. I've always had a low voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they would they would throw me on demos and stuff. At oh, so, uh-huh. he, so he just kind of roped you in and said, I need somebody to do this. Here, say these words. Yeah, but he didn't. He didn't. His coworkers did. Oh. No, he never hired me. I swear, it was awful. He would beg to differ, but <laughs> I'm like, where's the nepotism? Um, and so, so I, they, I, I actually got a job through one of his coworkers. I can't even remember what it was for right now. Um, and I was at the session, and the um, the engineer said, do you have representation? And I said, no, I don't. I just sort of am just starting doing this. And I, I think I, at that point I'd taken a course, a voiceover course, through the learning annex of all places. And um, and he said, well, I, I have a good friend who's an agent. Let me introduce you. Wow. And he introduced me to Jeff Howell, who uh, was an agent, agent at Abrams, Rubeloff, and Lawrence. And, um, and he signed me. That is awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. And I maybe booked, you know, one commercial here and, you know, in like a year or something. Mm-hmm. It was just uh, nothing, nothing really came of it. Um, and, and Jeff had left after not long after I got there, seven months or something, eight months. And they brought on a new agent and after a few more months, she said, you know, I'm sorry, we, we really can't keep you. You're not booking and we got to let you go. And, you know, needless to say, I was pretty devastated. Mm-hmm. Um, so then 
I think I had the baby by then. I did. Uh, then I went to work with this environmental consultant. So now I'm doing that. Environmental consulting, environmental consulting, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I did that for a couple of years. And then we moved to Santa Monica and I got, I got pregnant again, second baby. And during my leave, when I had the second baby, all of a sudden I hear every voice I hear on the radio. Well, there were two in particular, Gina Tuttle and Terry Apple. Uh, and I'm like, they sound, they sound just like me. It was all about the raspy boys, mm -hmm. yep. just the flat, sardonic, sarcastic. Well, Terry more than Gina. Gina had a really mellifluous voice, very sarcastic. So I was like, you know, this is ridiculous. So was, I, when, I need to be. When was this? Go ahead. Okay, so this was in 1995. Yeah, I was going to say that that's what I remember happening in the mid-90s, and it continued for quite a while. Mm-hmm. It was a, but that was Dennis a, Leary. Was the it was the era of just like I don't care. Yeah, yeah. Right. So I called, I called my old agent who had fired me, not Jeff Howell. Mm -hmm. This was Linda McCarroll, the one who'd axed me. And I said, "Listen, I, I want to do this again." I said, "I'm not asking you to reconsider signing me, but what I am asking you to do." is listen to my old reel, and can you give me some input? I'm ready. I want to do a new reel, and I want to try this again. And she said, of course. And she listened to my reel, and she said, you know what? I, I want you back again. And she re-signed me. That's great. Uh-huh. And I think within maybe two weeks, I booked a 13 spot TV campaign for Libby's. Oh, so a national thing. That's, that, that's fantastic. And that really, uh -huh. really points out the value of not burning bridges. That's right. I mean, you Hugely. know, yeah, she, she could have said, you know, we really can't use you anymore. And if you had had kind of a fuck you attitude, um, who knows what she would yep. have said when you called her back. That's right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. That's great. That's uh -huh. great. Uh -huh. So, so you booked a national, and then you were kind of off and running in the voiceover. And world. then, I mean, I, it was the era was right for me. And at the risk of sounding like a big jerk, I booked national television campaign after national television campaign. That doesn't sound was, like a jerk to me. That just sounds like you did well. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was crazy, but I really was in the right place at the right time. Yeah. I really, I really was. And that has not sustained, but at that time it was, um, it was, it was pretty spectacular. Sure. Yeah. So, Yeah. So that's how that happened. So that's how you got into voiceover. And then at that point, once you started booking national commercials, did you just figure, okay, I'm doing voiceover now? Or did you yeah. continue with the environmental consulting? Oh, no, or... no, that was, no, I was so done with that. That had gotten toxic. All right. So that's, iron that's ironic, isn't it? So, yeah, <laughs> it, it is kind of, but, but I know what you mean. Um, so, so then you were, you were off and running in the voiceover world. I was off and running in the voiceover world. I had two young kids. Sometimes I dragged them with me. Oftentimes I dragged them with me to auditions. They knew exactly which places had, if, I, if we had to go to Callenson in the Valley, they knew there was a donut shop around the corner. <laughs> if we had to go to my agency, which was ICM, they knew they could get free sodas in the lunchroom. 
Um, yeah, there's always it, some it, kind of treat involved. Leave it to kids to remember the important stuff. Oh yeah, where's the sugar delivery for us on that? <laughs> <laughs> so uh so at that time i mean if you're still talking the mid 90s so this is this is before home studios got to be pretty much standard and expected this was back oh, when all, absolutely all this auditions is 90, were, this is late, we're yeah we're late 90s now yeah you know mid to late 90s so no i i spent every day driving all over town sure. to all the different every every day to my agency every day and then which was in beverly hills and then it was still is. And then um, and then to casting to casting places mm-hmm. and jobs. So it was I was in my car all day long. Yeah. Different world back then when it comes to voiceover. Oh, yeah, it was. Yep. And so, so many levels. Yeah. I mean, pay pay scale opportunity. You know, I mean, you had to be in New York, L.A. and Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and things were not there was not. There was not cable to the same you know degree that there is now. So when you booked a spot, it was generally national television, and so not only did you get paid um, for TV usage, but but commercials were so much more expensive to actually produce. Mm-hmm. So they ran the hell out of them. Yeah. So you got cycle after cycle. Now it costs nothing to make a commercial. They can yeah. you know they play it for such a short amount of time, and then it's dumped. You don't get. You, if you got one spot, you were it was like for sure ten grand. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so you were with an agency. Did you start doing any on camera at that point? No, I've never had any interest in that. Hmm. No, no, I just no. I mean, I acted all my whole life, all through school. I did summer stock theater. I, I, I just I always loved. I always loved it, but I didn't have. I, I never had a drive to be an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, I just enjoyed doing it, but it never, it never, I never considered it as a career choice. And look what um, happened. I know. And look what <laughs> happened. But I uh, know, but as far as I was like, why don't you, how come you don't do it on camera? I'm like, I, I don't know. Like brush my hair or something. <laughs> <laughs> just not what you're focusing on. That's, uh, that's it's cool. That's not what I'm focusing on. Okay. So, so that's like over 20 years ago. When did audiobooks come in? Okay, so here's that transition. So when I when I first, you know, when I mostly when I switched agencies, I I, I left. Nancy Wilson became. Do you know Nancy? Oh sure, yeah. Well, I yeah. don't know her personally, but yes, I absolutely know who yeah. she is. So Nancy eventually came to ARL. She became an agent at, at ARL, which is Abrams, Bluff, and Lawrence. And um and and we are. She is one of my dearest friends to this day, but. She she's an amazing coach, phenomenal teacher. Um, she was just an awful agent. She'll be the first one to tell you that because she just <laughs> didn't care that much. <laughs> she's hilarious. I mean, I take I, I I say that jokingly. She's an amazing director. She liked that. You know, it's she didn't it, like it's it's funny that. just not to go too far off on a tangent, but I know exactly what you mean. I know people who, in fact, somebody who I learned a lot about voiceover from um, Taylor Corabo. She was never an agent, and she was a great director and coach but she she's one of those people who was great at what she did but she didn't do voiceover she she wasn't a voice actor herself and and people always say you know if you're going to have somebody teach you how to do something they have to do it themselves and i you know for the most part i agree with that but there are exceptions to that and she was one yeah. of them and she would be the first to tell you that in fact i asked her one time well why aren't you a voice actor and she's all oh i'm terrible but she knew exactly i mean the sessions that that we had 
in the workshops that I took, she zeroed in immediately on what it was that was missing and what somebody needed to do. And she would direct them and boom, it was a different read. So yeah. there, there are all these different jobs in voiceover and sometimes people aren't good at one of them and they're just phenomenal at another. It's something else. Exactly. So yeah. that was, that was Nancy. She's an unbelievable director. So she, um, she, she was going to leave. She knew that she was not going to be an agent anymore. And, uh, and she said, you, you, you're going to have to, you're, I'm going to send you over to Jeff Danis at ICM. And I was like, oh no, I can't go there. That's like the big, hugest Mac daddy agency there is. I'm terrified. <laughs> I can't, no, I can't go to, not him. I'm so scared of him. <laughs> She's like, he said he'd take one woman and one man sending you and I'm sending Phil Crowley. It was like, you know, rats jumping ship. All the other agents were going to scoop up Nancy's clients. So I, so I, I moved over to, I moved over to ICM and, um, and I'm, I'm still there. It's not ICM anymore, but, and I, and Jeff is not nearly as scary as I thought he was. He's wonderful. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> um, good. But, That's but good. so, but here's what I remember. I remember there, I was, I was young. I was in my, you know, late 20s, no, early 30s, I'd say. And I remembered seeing these older actresses who were not getting the opportunity that I was getting. They were aged, you know, out of the demographic and granted it's voiceover, you know, what's a demographic and voiceover? You can sound like any age, but, but, but there's, there's still ageism in voiceover. And, and, and so their opportunities were lessening and there was a desperation about some of them. And, and I mean, the opportunities for women were not as great as the opportunities for men to start with. Mm -hmm. And as, I mean, you know, this is what women in Hollywood were talking about this left and right these days. Yeah. Um, and their opportunities were dwindling even more and more. And, 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 and you could sense this aura of desperation. And I remember looking at them saying, I, I never want to be like that. I never want to have that sort of film of panic around me. Mm -hmm. Um, it made a really strong impression on me. And so after, I don't, I can't, well, let's see, I've been doing audiobooks for maybe 10 years now. So I, so I made, I made a decision to start to diversify because I don't have an on-camera career. I don't have a theater career. This is all I do is voiceover. And I thought audiobooks. Well, there's another thing, you know, doing commercials is fantastic. It's great. It's lucrative as hell. Um, you've got all the time in the world to do what you want to do. But at the end of the day, I was more creative painting a mural than I am doing a commercial for 7-Eleven. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I, I just, uh, I'm an artist. Uh, I, and I've, oh, whether it's painting, whether it's, cooking, um, whether it's voiceover, I want to create something beautiful. Mm -hmm. So it was that desire coupled with, with hoping to protect the longevity of my career that made me look at audiobooks and say, huh, how about that? Why don't I start doing that? Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's how I, that's how I, I made that conscious decision to make that I mean, I didn't at that point consider it a shift, but that's what it's become. It's become a shift because I, 
I barely do commercials anymore. But. I was, was going to say, so how does it break down now in terms of the work that you do? How much of the voiceover work that you do is taken up by audiobooks? 98%. Wow. So that is quite a shift. <laughs> uh-huh. Even if it There's wasn't. quite a shift. Yeah. Even if it wasn't yeah. intentional, that's, um, yep. that is definitely yep. all the way into the audiobook world. Yep, yep. So you yep. said you've been doing it for about 10 years. Um, I, I I don't know if you have any pseudonyms, but I looked on Audible and I think there were something like 300 and quite a few audiobooks there just with your name. Um, so I, I don't know what the what the total number is, but that's a hell of a lot of audiobooks in 10 years. Yeah, it's close to... I, I'm about... I'd say... I know on... I just actually looked. Audible has... It shifts a lot. The, the numbers fluctuate on there. I, I'm good. I've done close to 400. Okay. I'd say. Yeah. That, that's a lot in 10 years. So that is definitely, I, I can see how you've shifted 98% that direction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So do you have a, do you have a specialty or a niche, um, within, or are you more partial to fiction, nonfiction? Um, um anything? No, I mean, no, I, I don't have a niche. I do, I do almost every genre. I don't do a lot of YA and I don't, I really don't do, I don't actually, I don't even know if I do any YA or any kids. Not, I'd like to, I'd love to do some YA, but I guess, I don't know. I think it's my sardonic scratchy voice. People don't think of me when they think of that. Um, I do a lot of nonfiction. I do a lot of fiction. I do a lot of serial killers and kick-ass chicks, you know, saving the world, um, which I love. Uh, I I love thrillers. I love mysteries. I I think my favorite genre, um, if I really could pick one genre to do for the rest of my life, it would be historical fiction. I love that. I love love it. When you get to learn something, but yet it's not like a textbook. Yeah. yeah, It's woven into a story. I hear you. So I adore that. That's my favorite. I Um, I I don't... Go go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I wasn't going to say anything interesting. Just <laughs> everything you're saying is interesting. Uh, <laughs> on historical fiction, I I wasn't even really familiar with it in terms of a genre or a type of work. I mean, I'd, I'd read some. I just hadn't really thought of it as a thing. And then I ended up doing a, a trilogy that took place in the Vietnam War. And the author had actually been in Vietnam several times. And um, I found it fascinating because I talked to him at one point and I said, so how much of this is true? And he said, well, if you ask my lawyer, the answer is none of it. If you ask me, pretty much all of it. And and I thought, so that's great. I'm reading this story. It is a story. It's fiction. I get it. But I'm learning a lot about not just the the physical aspects of the war, but about the psychological component and about how it felt to be over there because I know that this author actually lived this. And so I, I found the whole thing really fascinating just the way you said in terms of learning something without reading a textbook. That's the best, right? Yeah, it was great. It was great. How'd you deal with that language, though? Good God, man. I did a book on the Vietnam War. I, I, I thought I'd kill myself. What do you mean? The, the language in terms of the military slang? No. Didn't you have all the Vietnamese? Oh, no. No. This was, I think that almost all of it was from the the point, uh, point of view of the, the U.S. troops. And there was, oh, okay. there was very little dialogue from anybody from the other side. Right. Yeah. I did, and that might, I did a book on the history of the Vietnam War, and I had 900 Vietnamese names, cities. Oh my gosh. Uh huh. No, I'll, I think all I had was some city names and maybe yeah. a few people, but that was it. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that, that would have been tough. 
I was Irish. Yeah. So uh, historical fiction, um, uh, no YA. I'm actually a little surprised about the YA. Hearing your voice, I, I would think that that whole sardonic wit thing would be perfect for a you know, know. late late teen girl. <laughs> from your from your lips to the producer's ears. <laughs> well, hopefully some of them are listening. <laughs> I know. I hope so. I, I, I say that because I think YA is um, some of the best written literature out there. Mm-hmm. It's so scrutinized, mm. um, you know, because it's for young people. Yeah, you don't um, want to be getting something out there that is steering people in a bad direction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I just, I'm interested in it. I think it'd be fun to do that. Cool. Uh, I, I hope that, hope that happens. What about anything? Thank you. What about uh, not things that you're not willing to narrate? Anything? Um. Well, I mean, yes. I don't have a ton of morals, but I, I do have. <laughs> <laughs> there's a little bar that I I won't cross. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I, I won't. I, I'm uh, politically, I I'm a liberal, and I'm not interested in reading anything that's gonna rah rah the far right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fine. It's, I, I believe in two sides to every story, but that's not my story, and I won't be able to fake that. Mm-hmm. I won't, I won't read anything that's terribly violent against children. I won't, most of my, I have huge, uh, uh, gay friend base. I won't need anything that's, I mean, that's gay, obviously gay bashing, but other than that, I'm sort of pretty open. I mean, I've read open. some, yeah, dirty stuff. I don't <laughs> seem to have a problem with that, but <laughs> yeah. Have you done anything under a pseudonym? Yeah, I have. Yeah. I don't worry. I'm not not trying to out you. I'm just. Uh, oh, I've just, been outed. Just it's, curious. I mean, yeah, no, I have. It's you know, it's that's such a gray area because one of the first, um, one of the very first big job. Well, the first job I got for Tantor um, was a vampire series, and it's dirty as hell. But I, it was one of my, you know, it was my first job with this new publisher. And I didn't, I didn't even think really about a pseudonym. Um, and I don't know if I would have felt, you know, I was such a newbie. I didn't know, I don't know if I would have felt comfortable saying, thank you for the work, but gee, you can't use my name and this work is shit. Right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so, but then, then I, there's other things that I have thrown under. The, I still do this series, actually. I've done maybe 16 books in it. Um, I still don't use a pseudonym and it's not horrible. It's just sexy. Uh-huh. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I did not create incredibly clear delineation between my pseudonym and my name, but I did get outed. I, I, I just mentioned that somebody on a review somewhere on audible said, Oh, I know who that voice is. That's Hillary Huber. Uh. And one of those dirtier books, but no, whatever. I don't know that anybody <laughs> cares. I mean, I don't really care. All right, so so that's what you feel comfortable narrating. What you feel comfortable saying? No, I'm not going to narrate. Uh, how how'd you get into coaching? Um, I got into coaching because I originally I assisted uh, Pat Fraley in his teaching. Yeah, I love Pat. He's um, great. And so I taught. Yeah, I taught with him for quite a while, doing audiobook workshops and other workshops and, um, and I don't, I'm, I, and so, so I, I, I mean, I, I, I learned, you know, about 
ways to teach from him. Um, um, so I, 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 it, it, I have a real love hate relationship with it when I'm in it. I love it. When I'm working with a student, I absolutely love it. Um, but I don't wildly actively seek it out. It's at this point, mm -hmm. I'm anytime anybody asks me to come to a workshop, I'm thrilled to do it. Mm -hmm. And if a student contacts me, I'm thrilled to do it. Um, but it's not, it's not, you know, I, I'm a narrator before I'm a coach, I think. Sure. I don't know. I just, um, I, 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 I love, I love directing people. I love those aha moments. Um, I love that sort of one-on-one. -on -one. I, I think that, um, I have a very sort of practical approach to the world in mm -hmm. general. And so I, I, I just think there's something to offer. So what is your approach to coaching? How do, how do you approach it? Is it really different for every student or do you have kind of a set pattern where you work on certain things first or how do, how do you do that? Well, I have a couple, two different ways that I go about it, two different approaches. I have the, um, the long tour and the short tour. Hmm. So the long tour is for a newer, a newer student. Um, and it's a, it's a, there's a curriculum. It's a four, it's a four session, four one hour session curriculum where half of the, half of each session covers a performance technique and the other half deals with the business of audiobooks. Uh, you know, who your client is and uh, how you get important. into it. And, yep, that's important. Um, so, and, and then there's always a little bit of homework. You go home with things to practice. Um, and then the, the short the short tour, and, and then, you know, I, I can do demos too if somebody wants a demo. And then the short tour is more um, specific, you know, spot spot coaching for people who need to work on a particular thing. Mm. So an hour here, an hour there. Mm -hmm. um, so, oh, see, right. So either there's the long tour or the short tour. So the short tour is just people who need specific things. I am going to do a nonfiction book. Can you help me with nonfiction? Sure. Um, yeah. I need some help separating my characters. So things like that. Sure. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, and what do you find you're doing more of? Um, I don't know. I'd say it's 50, 50. I yeah. don't, you know, I don't, I, yeah, I'd say it's, it's hard to say. I don't, I don't, I don't coach a ton. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's hard to say. Yeah. No, that's, that's fine. I did notice I went to your website and I really didn't see anything about it, but I remembered you said no. something at the workshop yeah. last year. Yeah. And that's so, what I mean. I, I, yeah. I do. I really, I, I, I really enjoy doing it, but I don't, I don't put it out there a lot. First of all, I don't have a lot of time. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I'm working a lot. And so I, I don't have a ton of time to devote to it. Mm -hmm. Um, so if somebody finds me, I'm delighted but yeah, no, I don't have a page dedicated to it. I just haven't, I haven't, I haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. Um, so, so what's your home situation like? I mean, aside from your husband coming in and stealing sips from your drinks, um, do you, <laughs> at, at this point, you know, the, the world has changed so much for all voiceover, including audiobooks. Are, do you normally narrate at home? Do you have a studio that you go to on a regular basis? Do you go to production house studios or, or how do you do it? Okay. So I used to have my studio in my house and I actually, 
started, this is odd, but I actually started narrating on my own. And I mean, at, this is odd only because 10 years ago, nobody had a home studio. Right. And ACX didn't exist. No, ACX didn't exist. Um, so I've had a home studio for a really long time. Um, but about four years ago, five years ago, I realized that I'm kind of a crappy boss and I'm even crappier employee and I'm always <laughs> looking for a break and I'm always giving myself one. So it could be, wow, I wonder if the mail came. I better yeah, go check. I know that huh. feeling. <laughs> Did the dishwasher stop because should it be emptied now while it's warm? I mean, it was pathetic. So I, I rented office space and I moved my studio to an office which is about a mile and a half, two miles away. And I love it. I love the environment. It's all filled. It's filled with all kinds of creative people. And I get up and I get dressed and I go to work and I'm so much more productive because other than the internet, I really don't have any distractions. Um, and it, and it, it really has provided a structure to my day, whereas, well, I could record some more tonight, but I, that, I'm not good at that. I don't record at night. Mm -hmm. I record from 10 till 4 or sometimes more, a lot of the times less. Um, so, yeah, so I get up and go now. And That's... then I record at, you know, at, at any, any production facility that wants me to come in there, I do that too. That's great. I know that that is a constant battle for, you know, people who are out there and being entrepreneurs and doing it on their own. It's great that you can get up and work in your pajamas and walk five feet to your work. And, mm -hmm. it, is, and it is terrible that you can get up and, mm -hmm. and walk five feet to your job. So it's, it's really... Yeah, I mean, kudos so. to people who can really... I mean, I did for a while make that work, but it, it, it just... I found it was really a constant strain on me and I didn't get as much done. Mm -hmm. So it, um, it, 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 it really behooves me to have it somewhere else. I, I can't recommend that enough, but I mean, I know people who love to narrate at night mm -hmm. and, and so in that case, that would be great to have your studio in your house. It'd be wonderful to get to crawl down there at 11 and start reading. Yeah. Um, but it's just, I think it's, it's all a matter of figuring out where your productivity lies. So you said there but, are a lot of creative people where you have your studio. It, how is it that, 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 is? I mean, this isn't a place that's just for you then. There are other people working in this environment. Yeah. Yeah. It's an, it's an old manufacturing, um, area plant. There are a bunch of old manufacturing buildings and they've sort of subdivided them all into all these little groovy creative spaces. And my place in particular, it's a big bow trust building. I think they made ceramics in it. And, and, uh, Tom's shoes. Are you familiar with Tom's shoes? No. You buy a pair of their shoes. They give a pair to somebody. And oh, cool. Yeah. I have heard of them. Yeah, yeah. 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 You've heard of them. Um, they, when they first started, they took over this whole bow trust building and they built it out with, you know, it's got huge 30 foot ceilings. Um, they built out all of these little 10 by 10 offices in it with little windows and little doors and a kitchen. And that was their corporate headquarters. Mm -hmm. And then they moved on. And now the company that owns this whole property leases out these little 10 by 10 rooms. And so we have 
There's a couple composers. There's a lot of writers. There's a producer. There was a massage therapist. There's a tutor. There's a therapist. It's it's awesome. That's pretty this cool. Great. Oh, I love it. But it sounds like it could be noisy. Well, no, it's not because get a load of this. When I first when I first moved in, I was one of the early tenants. And there were only maybe three or four of these places leased. And and then um, Vikas Adam, who's another narrator, he I talked him into renting the one next to me. And then this massage therapist moved in. And it all it all became about being quiet, about it being a quiet space. That's cool. So even though there are composers, they have to like keep it hush hush if they're too loud i get to go say mm, can you put your headphones on <laughs> um, that's great and so it, it's the 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 yeah the management has has made it a sort of a quiet space so no it's not noisy at all i mean and i have a booth in it inside the 10 just, by 10 you've yeah, got your own booth. yeah yeah, right. yeah 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 i'm not just in the in the room so well, that's cool i couldn't do that yeah, and then there's sometimes there's noise i have to stop for but yeah. So yeah, so that's so that's what I do. Well, that sounds like a great approach. It sounds like it's working really well. Uh, and it seems I, to be working. And I talked to somebody else just recently, uh, Stephen J. Cohen, who also uh, is renting space, and it's working really well for him too. Oh, he is. Yeah. Oh, he is. Yeah. Oh, good for him. I mean, it's kind of a big leap of faith, you know. What I'm going to pay rent when I could put it my booth in the corner somewhere. Oh yeah, it has but... to be worth it. It's, I mean, the one, I'll tell you honestly, when I first did it, I thought if I can get, you know, one student a month, that, that will pay for it, mm -hmm. my rent. Um, but, you know, knowing that I'd be recording anyway, but, um, I, I, whatever. It was just justification. Yeah. I, it's just, it just works better for me. I'm much more productive. Yeah. No, that's great. And then you go home and that's your home time and you're not I go working. home and that's my, and that's it. Yeah. yeah. No, that's cool. So, uh, so what words of wisdom do you have for, uh, for any aspiring narrators that might be listening out there? Um, be nice. I mean, let's go back to the beginning of our conversation. Never burn a bridge, mm, I, yeah. you know, especially, especially in the land of acting. Not that I've dabbled my toes and much of it outside of voiceover, but Audiobook producers, publishers, actors are some of the nicest people I've ever met. They're kind, and we all have a common goal of telling stories. And there's something really beautiful about that. It's mm -hmm. not about celebrity. I mean, for some people it is. Um, and it's about lasting art. And, and I just think that creates... Um, it creates a culture of interested, interesting, kind people. And there's no room for ego and attitude. And so be nice. Mm -hmm. Everybody's really nice. Um, I think that's important. I do too. Um, I, I can attest to that in uh, the short time that I've been doing this. Uh, I, I love the audiobook community. It's uh, awesome. Everybody that I've met on both sides, narrators, producers, um, I've had very, very few experiences that I would come even close to calling bad. Everybody is great. Everybody's great. We all just want to tell a great story. Yep. Um, and and everybody's approachable and friendly and willing to help you. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I, I, I value that. So I encourage everybody to value our community in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of a touchy feely piece of advice. My second piece of advice is you will get 40 different pieces of advice about the same topic <laughs> and yeah. Nobody's right. Nobody's wrong. Everybody has a different way of approaching it. So I I kind of think about, I remember when I was pregnant, you know, everybody wants to tell you how to raise your baby. It's the same kind of thing. And you just nod your head. You're like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) And you figure out what works for you and what doesn't. Um, So be willing to listen to everybody because there is a kernel of brilliance in everybody's idea, whether it's applicable to what you're working on at that moment or six months down the road, you're like, aha, that makes sense to me now. Um, so I would just say, always keep your mind and your ears open. We are never done learning. I, I, I just, um, last week I was asked to come in and be a Guinea pig at Penguin Random House. They had a, they had a, a workshop for their directors and they brought the maestro of them all, Paul Rubin from New York, oh, yeah. to do a workshop for, for their directors to help them with their directing and their interaction with the actors. And so they had a few of us in as to be picked on by Paul Rubin. And I learned so much in those few hours I sat there, not only from Paul, but from the other directors and just from the conversation we had. Um, and that, so, wasn't, that wasn't even your intent on doing it was to learn something and then you learned a bunch of stuff. I learned, yeah, I mean, I kind of knew I'd learned something. You're sure. in a room with Paul Rubin, but... Right, um, how can you not, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it wasn't like I was going to a workshop. Exactly, you know? yeah, that's what but I mean. But I yeah. do go to workshops. I, I do go to workshops. I, I just never stop, never think that you've reached a point when you can't, where you can't learn anything. Yeah. Because you can always learn something. Great advice, yeah, I agree. I What I love is when you get two different coaches who are both really highly respected at what they do, giving two seemingly um, contradictory pieces of advice or uh, trying to trying to help you get to get to the next level. And the way that I look at that is what you were saying earlier about uh, there's a kernel of something in everything. And I don't look at that as a bad thing when two people who are both no. really good at what they do disagreeing. They're both right in some way, and you take whatever you can from both of them and put it together and synthesize it, and you know you got you got something that'll work for you. That's the gold. That's yeah. the best when you get two different opinions. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the best. Otherwise, it's you know an autocrat telling you how to a despot. Yeah, <laughs> one and, person telling you how to do things. Yeah, and we've all had and, too much of that lately. Yes, so. we have. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Hillary. Really appreciate you coming in. Are you uh, are you going to be at APAC? I am. Are you? I am. Well, then we will clink our glasses for real, my friend. Absolutely. I will see you there. I look forward to it. All nice right. talking to you. Take care. All right. Thanks, Hillary. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Hillary Huber for stopping by. I really enjoyed hearing about the path that she took to get to be an audiobook narrator, and I hope you did, too. I am virtually certain that Hillary is the only friend I have that has painted the columns at Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas. I forgot to ask Hillary where she can be found online, but I can tell you that you can find her website at hillaryhuber.com, and her Twitter handle is hillacious. 
I'll include those in the show notes. You can find the audiobook Speakeasy on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean, and all the apps that pull from iTunes. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, a place where you can sign up for my monthly newsletter, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook Speakeasy. If you're enjoying our Speakeasy chats, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you could visit patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy and donate a buck or two. You donate per episode, but don't worry about things getting out of control. You can set a monthly maximum. Less than two months until APAC. I'm really looking forward to it, and I hope to see a lot of you there. In the meantime, I've got several more guests lined up here at the Speakeasy, so be sure to come back and join us for a drink. Until we see you here in the Speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers! Thank you.